you, Lord, to encourage myself, Father. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that our great teacher is here. And Father, I thank you, God, for our hearts to be open and our ears to be receptive, God, for everything that you'd have said and done in this place, Lord. Father, we send the words to Pastor Dave and Ina tonight, Father. We thank you, God, for strengthening our pastors, Lord. We thank you, Father God. We stand on the word, Father, that he is already healed in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you, God, for this time that they're having together. Strengthen them even right now, God, as we're joined together in prayer. Father, I thank you, God, that your church is strong and it's moving forward word in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So this is a study I did a few years ago. Um, how many know Bob Yandian? He's been here before a couple of times. He's awesome. Um, so I get his newsletters weekly. And so I get in stuff in my inbox from his ministry. And I got this teaching a lesson from him back in 2019 on the mystery. Um, and he calls it the mystery of the church. Um, I like to add a little bit of the Holy Spirit into the lesson tonight. So I just want to share with you my heart, and I want to share with you and tell you that even though we see things happening in the world, the church or the ecclesia is stronger now than it's ever been. So in spite of what you hear, in spite of what you see, the church of Jesus Christ is strong, alive, and active and well. Amen. And so no matter what's happening in the Middle East, no matter what's happening in Ukraine, no matter what's happening anywhere in the world today, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And what God doesn't want is he doesn't want his church to take the spirit of fear. Say with me, I don't take the spirit of fear. Say with me, it doesn't belong to me. Say with me, I am strong in Jesus yeah, and we are all the body of Christ. So we are all the church collectively, but each one of us have a part to do. We're an individual member within that body. And so we all have something to do, but God's church is a strong church. And over time and over the centuries, God's church has been through its ups and its downs. It's been through the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. It's been through Roman Catholicism. I mean, it's been through a lot of crazy but God's church today is stronger than it's ever been. Amen? So I want to encourage you with that tonight. So to understand the mystery, we must understand the church age. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of history. It's just a little synopsis tonight. It's not the whole history, but I just kind of wrote down some notes because I wanted to share this with you. So what happened since the day of Pentecost? We know on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people were added to the church, and the church continued to grow, and the apostles were scattered all over. Some went to Asia, some went to Turkey, some went all over that region preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So along, along with that came persecution in the church. Around the year 400, um, theology was beginning to be developed within the church and its structure. In these years, there was a fire in Rome, and it burned up 70% of the city. And Nero was the emperor at this time. And it was in the year 67. And on record, it was Peter and Paul that were killed that very year. Peter was hung upside down and crucified, and Paul was beheaded. And the persecution came in full force in the next following years, from 81 to 96, and on into 100, up into the 300s. 
Persecution was happening at, a, at record speed. There was martyrs. There were people that were hung at the stake, burned at the stake. Um, persecution was, was huge and a big thing during this time. The creeds were developed during this time. We had the Nicene Creed. Um, we had creeds because the followers of Jesus had nothing left. Um, 70% of Rome had burnt. They had lost uh, sacred documents. And all they had was a memory of what Jesus said it during that time. So they came up with creeds, and they remembered things that he said, and they wrote those things down. And that allowed them to know who were the Christians because they were saying the same creed. So the church, even back then, was still strong. They might have been hidden, but they were strong. Um, so the medieval times came. Well, I want to go back a little bit. So the year of 300, 380, Constantine, um, the whole Roman Empire became Christian. And when I say Christian, I mean it became under Roman Catholicism. And so during this time, if you weren't, if you weren't under the Roman Catholicism, you weren't a Catholic during this time, you were considered a heretic. And so heretics were burned at the stake. And so I, I believe, I don't know, but maybe history records this somewhere, but I believe a lot of the Christians went underground during that time. Um, Roman Catholicism built and it grew. And then the medieval times came. This was from A.D. 400 to 1500. And the rise of the Catholic Church um, was in full force. You had monks and nuns and fairs and monastats going up. You had archbishops and bishops all growing within the Catholicism, within the Catholic religion during this time. But something happened during this time also. Um, two powerful men, um, one was named John Haas and the other was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, you're familiar with him, he wrote the 95 Thesis and nailed it to the Wittenberg Church on October 31st, 1517. Now isn't it strange how October 31st, Halloween is such a huge thing, but October 31st, 1517 was one of the most important days in, in the church history ever known to man. And that was when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the wall, to the door of the Wittenberg Church. And it was from that moment when he did that that everything changed for Christianity as they knew it then and as we would know it now. And so he had a problem. He was, um, uh, he, he, his father wanted him to be a lawyer. And so he was uh, bound and determined to be this lawyer for his father and follow after his, in his father's footsteps to make money. And he was coming back to Wittenberg. And he was, this is, I'm paraphrasing, but he was coming through the woods and he's coming back. He's traveling. Takes days to travel back in those days. And a horrible thunderstorm arises, and he finds himself scared, and he feels like he's going to be struck by lightning. And so Luther falls to the ground and begins to pray. And he prayed, and he said that if this doesn't take me, I'll serve you, God. And so I'll be a priest, I'll be a monk, whatever you want me to be, I'll be for you. Well, as you have it, storm didn't get him, and he made it to Wittenberg. And so he held true to his promise, and he went and joined the local monastery. His father was furious because his father wanted him to be an attorney, wanted to be a lawyer. So he went off to become this monk and went on to become a priest, and he served his first mass, and he did the sacraments. But then one day, he was reading the Bible. And the Bible was written in Latin back in those days, so nobody could read the Bible unless you know how to read Latin. And so he was reading the Bible, and he found himself in the book of Romans. And he was reading from there, and he realized that it's faith in God and faith in God alone. And he thought, huh, faith in God and faith in God alone. He had like, a, like a, an awakening in himself. 
because they realized that it wasn't through indulgences and it wasn't through sacraments and it wasn't through um, penance before a priest, but it was faith in God. I could have faith in God and God alone. And so he began to write the 95 Thesis, and he began to write about the Catholic Church. Now, he loved the Catholic Church. He loved God, and he loved the church, and he didn't want to get out of the church at this time. He just wanted to debate them. He wanted to argue his case before them. And so he wrote the 95 Thesis. And in the 95 Thesis, he had reasons as to why, scripturally, that we don't have to ha pay for penance, that we don't have to do the sacraments, that our faith is in God alone. And so he nailed it to the wall. And he was hoping that he would debate them. Well, as time passed... He realized that someone, we don't know in history, we don't know who it is, but someone had taken it off the Wittenberg door, and it was during the time of the printing press. And I'm giving you just a little synopsis before I get into my message. So he took it off the printing press, and someone copied the 95 Thesis. And so now the 95 Thesis was all across the Roman Empire. Everybody was reading the 95 Thesis. And so now he's really in trouble because they already burnt John Haas at the stake. They considered him a heretic. They burnt him for coming against the Catholic Church, but a lot of his writing reflected that of John Haas. So he must have loved that man. And so there he was, and he has this 95 thesis, and so now the archbishop calls him um, to have a debate. Well, he thinks it's a debate, but he goes, and he's finally happy that he can debate the Catholic Church and that he can, you know, get it out. Let's have a debate about this. We don't have to have indulgences. I don't have to pay for penance. And people don't have to pay for penance. And people can read the Bible on their own. So he goes that day, and I'm paraphrasing. And when he gets there, all his materials laid out in front of him on this long table. And all these hierarch people, the bishops, were all sitting there. And they wanted Luther to take back everything that he said in the 95 Thesis. And Luther said, if I stand alone, then I'll stand alone, but I'm not going back on my word. And so he stood of a man of courage, but he knew that he was going to be burned at the stake. Well, he only had a couple of days before this would supposedly happen. He was en route to go home and wrap up his things because he knew he was, they were coming to get him. They are coming to get him, and he was going to be the next martyr. He was going to be the next one that would be burned at the stake because they called him a heretic. And so there he was, and he's traveling down this long dirt road, and these horsemen come out of nowhere and capture him and bag his head, bag him, and take him off. Well, Luther's thinking that he's, that's it, I'm done. I couldn't even go home and wrap up my stuff, you know. I'm telling the story. So, And so there he goes away, but then he arrives at the prince's castle, Prince Francis Castle. And he arrives there, and for some reason he had favor with this Catholic. He was Catholic. And he had such favor with this man. But how many know when God calls a man, he gives that man favor, right? So when he calls the church, he gives the church favor. Each one of us had the favor of God resting on our lives. We wouldn't be sitting here today if we didn't have the favor of God. So there's Luther. And so Luther grows a beard and grows his hair, throws off his monk hat, you know, does all of that. And he starts to now write the Bible from Latin to German because he said it's faith and faith in God alone and the people can have access to this Bible. And so he wrote that Bible and from there the great Protestant Reformation took form. Lutheranism came to pass all because there was a man that God called and it was Luther. I had a conversation with Pastor Dave. You know, Pastor Dave's an historian. <laughs> he loves, loves to talk about history. And I was talking with him about Luther and he said to me, I'll read you what he said. He said to me, 
He said, Kimberly, he said, there was Jesus, then there was Paul, and then there was Luther. I said, yes, Pastor Dave. Then there was Luther. Because if it wasn't for Luther, where would the church be? I'm sure God could have raised somebody else up. But out of that Reformation, out of that came Protestantism, Lutheranism. Out of that came the denominations that we have today. It was the beginning of the end of the control of the Roman Empire and the and Catholicism. All came through Luther. So this is just a little history of the magnificence of the church. Okay. So then, um, I call Luther, he was a pre-reformer. He was a total pre-reformer. So then comes the first great awakening. So we're still talking about the church. God is still working and dealing with his church. So this is in the 1700s. And by this time, by the time of the first great awakening, there was the Anglican Church. That was the Church of England that had come across and established itself here in our colonies. We had the Baptist Church. We had the Congregationalists. We had the Quakers, the Catholics, the Lutherans, and the the Moravians from Germany. Today, we have over 45,000 denominations. Look at your neighbor and say 45,000 denominations globally. (laughs) Yes. All right, so that would the, in the first the first great awakening produced men like John Edwards, produced men, and he was a theologian of his time, produced men like George Whitfield, Charles Wesley, just to name a few. Um, J- John Edwards was a man who preached a sermon, and his famous sermon was called "Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God," based out of Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two. And when he preached this message in Hampton, Massachusetts, when he preached this message, people fell out on the ground, out on the floor, and the holy rollers became the holy rollers. They were rolling on the floor, Pastor Tim, crying and weeping because they thought they were going to, they were slipping and going into hell. And they were, and all he was doing, John Edwards was very monotone, and he was very to his notes and very stayed behind the pulpit didn't step to the right or to the left, but stayed still. And he preached his message, and he didn't even look. The people were all over the floor, weeping and crying and rolling, but he knew it was God and never put a stop to it. And then you had George Whitfield. And George Whitfield's over in England during the same time, and he's preaching over there, and he comes to the colonies in America. And this preacher wasn't like the theologian. He was a preacher that preached without notes. He had no notes stuck in his back pocket or in his breastplate. He had no notes, and he would preach from the middle of the town square to the open fields, but the same phenomena was happening. So as the Molotov preacher preached and just stuck to his notes, and Whitfield was preaching for no notes at all, the same thing was happening, falling onto the ground and worshiping God and crying out for God. Convictions and And salvations were happening in record scores. God still had his eye on the church. He still had his eye on the church. Whitfield didn't stop it. Although Whitfield, you know, sometimes John John Edwards and him had a little bit of a dispute at one time because he couldn't believe how Whitfield couldn't keep his face, you know, because Whitfield showed emotion. And so John Edwards didn't show emotion while he preached. He was just preached. And I love preachers that just preach. But, John, but Whitfield was very emotional. And so when he would see the people rolling on the floor, he would cry with them while he was preaching. And he would weep with them while he was preaching. And so you, you couldn't stop that preacher from doing those kind of things. So they were remarkable in the first great awakening. 
But God was dealing with his church. The mystery of the church was still unfolding and unwrapping for you and I today. <laughs> I love to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I want to encourage you that the church is not asleep. The church is alive and the church is well. So the second great awakening brought in the power of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues. We had people like um, uh, Finney. Charles Finney was part of the Second Great Awakening. We have people like Amy Simple McPherson. We have the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s. We had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because God wasn't done with his church. It's no secret that his heart has always been on the church. Jesus told his disciples about the mystery of the kingdom of God and the church. He said to Peter, I'll build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So God has always had his eye on the church. That's the great mystery. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. So, so here we are in the 21st century today. So one Bible and many interpretations of that Bible. And that's why we have so many denominations today. You know, some people say, you know, it seems like the Mormons are all in unity. And it seems like. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses seem like they're all in unity, and those are heresies, and those are heretics. They don't line their beliefs up with Scripture. And then you have the Muslims. They seem like they're all together in one accord. And then you've got the Church of Jesus Christ with one Bible and 45,000 denominations globally. <laughs> so, and it comes with the interpretation of the Bible. But one thing that we can hold, hold together on is that we believe in the Trinity, we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins. We believe that it's faith in God and God alone. We believe that I can't get to heaven unless I go through Jesus. I can't get to the Father unless I go through him. So while we have many denominations, we have some core fundamental beliefs that we all hold on to. Whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran, Episcopalian, whatever, whatever it, denomination you belong to, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he was the son of Mary. We believe that he was born a virgin, from a virgin. And we believe that he died and rose again. We believe that he took the curse for you and I when he hung upon that cross and took the stripes upon his back. We believe that he went into the pits of hell and stole the keys away from the enemy. We believe that. So we have core fundamental beliefs. So what is the church missing? What is it, what's missing to cause the church to come into unity? Ephesians 4, verse 11, talks about the fivefold ministry. Now, I'm way off my notes right now. <laughs> um, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But we got the fivefold ministry. And they're here to teach us and equip us to when? Till we come into unity, till we come into one mind and under God. And what is that? That's the love of Jesus Christ. The mystery of the church is the hope of glory on the inside of you. That's what makes us different. It's not like the other religions. It's not like them. We have the love of Jesus Christ, and we carry the gospel. We carry the hope of glory on the inside of us everywhere we go. And if we want to be different, we're going to have to love in this hour. If we want to be different, we're going to have to show them what, it, what it's like to walk with Jesus. What it was like when Jesus went to Samaria and sat at the well. I've got to sit here because there's somebody coming here today, and I've got to minister to this woman when she gets here. So you guys go on ahead of me, but I'm going to sit right here, and I'm going to wait till this, this lady, this sinner, comes and sits with me. And I'm going to tell her everything that she's done in her life, and she's going to give her life to me. 
So we need to be like Jesus in this hour. The mystery of the church is stronger today than it's ever been. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So let's get to our notes now. <laughs> Five minutes to eight. Okay. So to understand the mystery, you must understand the church age. So I gave you a little synopsis of the church age. Um, this is something the Old Testament believers didn't have. We now live in a church, in the church age, which is really considered the dispensation of grace. The church age brought a new set of books and rules, a time frame that the old prophets didn't have. Bob Yandian states the New Testament calls our time period the dispensation of grace, the mystery. And number one, the mystery means something that has been kept secret for many centuries, but now is revealed by God to us. So that's your second fill-in is revealed. The, uh, and it's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Do I have that? Do I have John? You don't have, they don't, you don't have this in your notes, John 14, 16, and 17. Did I put that back there, Tim? And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So these things are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament folks didn't have that. We have that today. The unveiling or uncovering of the mystery. Um, before Pentecost, the church age was not known before then. This is why Paul states in Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Hallelujah. And I have, I have written here in your notes, I have it written in the Passion Translation. It says, Beloved friends, because my love for Jesus Christ, I am now his prisoner for the sake of all of you who are not Jews, so that you will hear the gospel that God has entrusted to me to share with you. For this wonderful mystery, which I briefly described, was given to me by divine revelation and insight into the secret ministry, mystery of the Messiah. There has never been a generation that has been given the detailed understanding of this glorious and divine mystery until now. He kept it secret until this generation. God is revealing it now to his sacred apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. And here's the secret. The gospel of grace has made you, non-Jewish believers, into co-heirs. That's your fill-in. He's made you co-heirs with his promise through your union with him. Can you pull up Romans 8, 17? So you are a co-heir. Look at your neighbor and say, I am a co-heir with Jesus. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, is if indeed you suffer with him, that you may be also glorified with him. So you now have become members of his body, one with the anointed one. And so you are an heir because you're a child of God. You're born again. That makes you an heir. You're an heir because you've been redeemed from the curse of the law. 
him being made a curse for you. So you are one with him. You are co a co-heir jointly with Jesus Christ the moment you become born again. All right, Matthew 13. Let's read this. Okay. So he answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Do I have verse 17? For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. So I, I'm, here, I'm telling you tonight that the prophets of old wished that they were living in our time frame right now. Because we, we are living in such a pivotal moment in this country, but a pivotal, pivotal moment in globally in the world right now. And so the church seems like it's going through a turmoil in the United States. It seems like it's, you know, it's kind of like being shaken a little bit. So we're being kind of shaken. But that's happened in generations past, and the church has remained alive and strong and well. And so what God doesn't want to happen here is it doesn't want us to get caught up in fear and get caught up with the crazy that's going on on the outside. I mean, you've got people today that are literally staying housebound because they're too afraid to go outside their house. I mean, you've you got people today that are so afraid that they're going to get sick, they won't leave their homes. Now they're afraid they can't go to a city or go on vacation because something bad is going to happen to them. So that's the spirit of the devil. That's demonic. It's diabolical, and so what he wants is for us to fear that. And so you'll hear rumors of things. You know, you'll hear rumors of wars and rumors of, of terror, and those kind of rumors you'll hear, and they'll be shedding those things wherever, on the news. So if you put your ear gate there, you'll fill your heart up with what's over there. So you need the church of Jesus Christ. We need to keep our eyes focused on the hope of glory on the inside of us because he is our hope of glory. So he resides in us, but to me, he's my hope of glory. I can go out boldly and not have to look over my shoulder and be afraid of anything because I know that he's with me. I am the church of Jesus Christ, and in me is the hope of glory on the inside. And so I'm going to choose to speak out of my mouth life and not death. I'm going to choose to speak what God says to speak in this hour, not what I'm hearing on the news or the fear or the trauma or the doubt. Because rest assured, God has got his hand on his church, and he's got his hand on the people of Israel. You can bank on that. Okay. So this was the first time that Jesus, in Matthew 13, spoke of the mystery with his disciples. He Number three, he told the 12 disciples about the mystery in parables, Mark 4, 10, and 11. Thank you, Jesus. Because how many know God already knew about the church? 
back when he was making these parables, back when he was talking, God already knew the destination of where you and I were going to be today. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Thank you, Jesus. So afterwards, Jesus and his disciples and those close to him remained behind to ask Jesus about the parables. And he said to them, the privilege of intimately knowing the mystery of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you and not to others, where everything is revealed in parables. For even when they see what I do, they will not understand. And when they hear what I say, they will not learn nothing. Otherwise, they would repent and be forgiven. And so Jesus said to Peter, Matthew 16, 18. Do I have that scripture? And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not prevail against it. Um, I, I wrote it down in the Passion Translation, too, to give to you. I give to you the name Peter a stone, and this truth of whom I, whom I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Now, he had just had a conversation with the disciples, and he was asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? You know, and it was Peter that came out and said, well, you are the son of God. And he said, well, only God could have revealed that to you. And so in this hour and day that we're living in, the Holy Spirit reveals those things to you and I. It's by the power of the Spirit of God that lives and dwells on the inside of you. What does Scripture say? That he is our advocate, our standby, our helper, our guide, our teacher. He brings all of those things back to our remembrance. So when you find yourself perhaps maybe backed up against a wall or backed up in a situation that you don't want to be in, you can count on the Holy Spirit that he'll give you the wisdom and the way to make an escape and get out. Amen? Okay. Say with me, the church of Jesus Christ is strong. Yes. It's strong and it's powerful. So he said that to Peter, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So you can know in the 21st century the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. Bobby Andean states in number four, the books of instruction for mystery, the church age, are the New Testament epistles. The books of Paul, Peter, James, and Jude, and John are for our dispensation. These books are the roadmap, our instructions, as you're filling there. The mystery of Jesus in you, the hope of glory. The Old Testament saints did not have this. The Spirit of God would come upon them, and they would hear the Spirit of God, but they didn't have Jesus Christ living and dwelling on the inside of them through the power of the Holy Spirit like you and I do today. This is what makes the church different, is the power of Christ on the inside of you and I. This is what equips you and I. This is what makes you and I strong. This is why Jude says to build yourself up in your holy faith, praying in the spirit, to build yourself up in tongues, to encourage yourself singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, because that's what builds you up on the inside. It, it sets you in a place where you can hear God when he speaks. They didn't have that back in those days in the Old Testament. 
God chose Moses to speak. Moses was the most humble man during that time frame. So God was able to speak to him. Abraham was a friend of God. So God could go along the way and speak to people. But today he speaks to his church. He can speak to every single one of us today. I can get a revelation on Monday and Ronnie can have that same revelation on Wednesday. So Pastor Dave can come up here and preach on Sunday, and God just spoke that to Versi on Tuesday because he's the same God living and dwelling in his church, and he reveals himself through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it comes to the church. Amen? <laughs> you are powerful. All right, so Jesus, the hope of glory, and that's Colossians 1.27. That's not in your notes, but Colossians 1.27 says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. And I said earlier that he is, he is our hope. He's our hope. So it's not, he's not only Christ in us, but he is our hope in this hour. Amen. All right. So the Old Testament saints did not have this. But some of the mystery that's included here is this. So your first one is the new birth, a recreated spirit within us. So this is part of the mystery. You have a new birth, and you have a recreated spirit in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The second mystery is the indwelling of Christ and the Holy Spirit. He dwells on the inside of you. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That same resurrection power in Christ indwells on the inside of you. The next fill in there is the infilling of the Holy Spirit for daily power. Acts 1 and verse 8. But if the spirit of him... Oh, um, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Hallelujah. So he comes. He, you're recreated. He dwells on the inside of you. You are filled daily with the power of the Holy Spirit. And each believer is a child in the family of God. Each one of us. And if children then heirs and heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, is if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We read that earlier. So you are recreated. You have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You have the infilling every single day to do the acts and the works of God. You are a child of God. And you are an individual priesthood. Every believer. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may, you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So say with me, I am a royal priesthood. <laughs> yes, each one of us. Hallelujah. All right. So, and here's another mystery that the Old Testament didn't have. We have the rapture. That's your next fill-in. So we can look forward to being one day caught out of here. And I believe that day could be very soon. I mean, things are like 
wrapping up and we're seeing things happening today on a scale, Pastor Tim, that we've never seen before in our lifetime. Things are happening so fast. God doesn't want the church in the midst of this to be weak or to be scared. He wants us to remain strong and diligent and on our feet and keeping the enemy under our feet. But we're looking to that one day when he will come and gather up his church and gather up his bride to himself. The people in the Old Testament didn't have that. We have that today. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption, corruptible must be put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immorality. Hallelujah. So we have one day, you know, one glad morning. When this life is over, I'll fly away to a home where terrestrial <laughs> shores, I'll fly away. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have this hope of glory on the inside of us that one day, if, if God doesn't take us home first, one day the church of Jesus Christ is going to arise. You know, I heard one prophet say, you know, you know, we used to be films and stuff on the tribulation and stuff where people would have, you know, people, car accidents and planes flying cuckoo for coconuts and, you know, crashing and burning and people waking up and somebody's not in the bed and, you know. But we live in a unique world because we have different time zones and um, different times when people are awake and people are sleeping. And I heard this one prophet say, Prophet Von Gerald up in upstate New York, a little tiny barn church, and he was talking about the rapture. And he's, and he's a psalmist. He plays the guitar and he's a psalmist. And he says, what if, he said, all of a sudden, he said, you're in your car or you're in your living room or you're out to dinner. And all of a sudden, Veronica, you feel like worshiping. Just all of a sudden, it comes over you. And you're in the middle of a family gathering. All of a sudden, you're just, excuse me, I've got to go worship. And you step aside, and you start to worship. And then your next-door neighbor is worshiping. All of a sudden, they have a moment of, i got to worship Jesus. And you're in your car. I better pull this car over and get out, on the, get out of my car and start to worship. And all of a sudden, all over the world globally, the church of Jesus Christ begins to worship the Messiah at the same time. He says, how about the rapture coming then? <laughs> And I thought, wow, you know, maybe that's how it's going to happen. I don't know, but I've never heard it that way before. I've heard of car accidents and people sleeping and the clothes being left there and people gone, you know. But I thought, I'd never heard of it that way. You know, there's a call. There's a call to worship. There's a call, a holiness that comes through that. And there's a call. God is calling his worshipers to come in what truth. And so there's a call to worship God. And I think that maybe there could be a glimpse of truth to that, possibly. That's my opinion. But maybe one day, one moment in some generation, all of a sudden, people will just start to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it will usher in the coming of the Most High God, coming down on his white horse, coming for his church. I kind of like to think about it that way. So when you worship the Lord next time, think about that. Think about, you know, Shiloh, the coming praise and worship, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine what it would be like if everyone all together at one moment, one time, through all of our world, began to stand up and worship Jesus Christ. We wouldn't be living in the world that we have today. Hallelujah. Okay. And it's happening in the colleges. 
You are right. You are right because it's spreading through the college campuses right now. You're right. You're right. It's happening at University of Auburn. It's happening at different colleges across the nation where they're coming just to worship. Yeah, just to worship the King of Kings. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So the mystery gives us stability. That's your next villain. Mm -hmm. So we're secure in that. We know the rapture is going to happen. We know that we're indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that we're children of God. <clears throat> we know that we're a royal priesthood. We know these things. We know these things are going to happen. So the mystery gives the body of Christ stability. Romans 16 and 25. Do I have that? Yeah. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began. But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience of faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And the Passion Translation says, I will give my praises and glory to the one who has more than enough power to make you strong and keep you steadfast through the promise found in the wonderful news that I preach. That is the proclamation of Jesus, the anointed one. This wonderful news includes the unveiling of the mystery kept secret from the dawn of creation until now. This mystery is understood through prophecies of scripture and by decree of the eternal God and is now heard openly by all nations, igniting within them a deep commitment of faith. Studying of the Old Testament gospels are necessary. That's your next villain. So they're necessary for our growth and we need to study them. <clears throat> but I like what Bob Yandian states here. He says, but they will never replace the importance of who we are in Christ found in the New Testament epistles and New Testament scriptures. So the believer has to understand who they are in Christ and that this hope of glory lives and dwells on the inside of them. And when you know that, stability comes to your life. And this is received by faith. You have to understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So we grab a hold of this by faith. And we can stand sure that this gospel of the kingdom of God is strong. The church, his ecclesia, is strong and it's moving forward. The mystery of the church is God in you, the hope of glory, the infilling of the presence of the Holy Spirit that the Old Testament prophets did not have, but we have today in this earth that we live in. And that's all the power that you will ever need. You won't need any other kind of power because you already have Christ in you. Every single thing that we have need for in the church is on the inside of us, and we obtain those things by faith. Amen? All right, so they're necessary. <clears throat> so the mystery has always been known in the heart of God. God has always known about the mystery of his church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has already prepared for those who loved him. So he already prepared these things for you and I because he knows all things. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Hallelujah. So the spirit of God, he searches all things, even the great things that are on the inside of you and I. 
Paul was responsible to complete God's word, the mystery. And he makes mention of this in Colossians 1, 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. It was like Martin Luther. It was like all of a sudden the light bulb went off and he said, it's faith in God and faith in God alone. It's not faith in the Pope or faith in man or faith in the sacraments or faith in penance. It's none of that. It's faith in God and faith in God alone. And he had that, a light bulb went off. And I was talking with Pastor Lorraine, you know, you read the book of Romans 1 through 7 and, you know, you see the perplexity of Paul and you hear about the law and grace and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 where he says, there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So automatically Paul had this revelation of, wait a minute, there's no condemnation. I, I, can't, I can't keep the law. And there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after God. Hallelujah. So he had a, a moment there too. So the mystery was, the mystery, Bobby Andean states, was um, how Satan and the demons, um, the wisdom, the enemy didn't know about the wisdom that was going to come through the church. So on the day of Pentecost, when over 3,000 people came to the Lord, we had 3,000 Jesuses walking the earth. He thought he'd already destroyed Jesus. So he had no idea how big this church was going to become. And right now, on fire for God is the continent of Africa. I mean, Africa, they're having salvations and conversions in record number right now. So while we see possibly a slow decline in the United States for the church, it's not happening in Africa. They're getting saved by the scores. Zimbabwe, Zambia, Kenya, South Africa, they're coming to Jesus over there. Muslims are turning in Egypt. They're having dreams about Jesus, and they're coming to the Lord. And then another place where Catholicism is so rooted and so deep is in Latin America, and they are on fire there. The country of Belize, 90% of that country is Christian. I mean, people are turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in scores in these areas. So while we think that we're not seeing God moving in this nation, the church of Jesus Christ is growing and it's alive and it's well. The number one country that's sending out missionaries right now is South Korea. South Korea is sending missionaries to the United States. They're sending missionaries to China secretly. They're sending missionaries to India. God is on the move because his church is strong. Say that with me. His church is strong. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, his church is strong. Hallelujah. So just a couple of scriptures in closing. We are his church. We are one body. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You don't have that in your notes. Um, and Ephesians 1, 22. Oh, I have a last blank. Wisdom through the church. Oh, I'm sorry. The mystery has always been known in the heart of God. Oh, God's goal God's goal of the mystery was to show Satan and demons his wisdom through the church. Hallelujah. Okay, so we know that Jesus is the head, Colossians 1.18. He has one body with lots of members, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. 
that we, we know that we are just like him in this world. Uh, let me read you another scripture. Thank you, Lord. In Colossians <coughs> chapter 2, for he, in verse 9, For he is the complete fullness of the deity living in human form, that is Jesus, and our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head over every kingdom and over every authority in the universe. Jesus Christ is the head, and we are his body. And so we have, you know, one Bible, 45,000 denominations, and John says in 1 John 3 and verse 10, let me go there. Do I have that? Do I have that back there, Tim? 1 John? No. I'll get it. I'll get it here. You got it? Yes. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. I mean, that's powerful. In the Passion Translation, it says, Here is how God's children can clearly dis be distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to the fellow believers is not living as God's source. Hallelujah. So say that with me. We've got to love one another. So we have, we have lots of denominations. I want to tell you a little story. I volunteer for um, a prison organization here in Raleigh, and they're Baptist. Um, but they're a huge organization, and they're in several nations across the world. They're in the Philippines. They're places where you th wouldn't think that they would be. And they're here in the United States. And they have a discipleship program that makes me cry every time I read it. So I get, uh, I'm one of their Bible ministers, and so I get uh, letters from prisoners from all across the United States. And um, they're asking for Bibles, of course, and they're asking for anything that could help to disciple them. And so I get their tests. So they take the classes, and I get their tests, and it's about 45 questions on the test. It takes about 45 minutes to correct and every time I correct one, I'm losing it in my mind. I just start to cry. Why might you say? Because they need Jesus. And so here is a Baptist organization that's ministering the gospel. And the teachings are so profound. I'm like, I need to have these teachings. You know, I need to have them. And so, and I've been in Jesus all these years. But it's such a powerful demonstration of God's mercy and God's love. I've never seen anything like it. And they're Baptist. And so why am I working there? Because God called me to work there. I speak in tongues, but why do I volunteer there? Because God called me to volunteer there. I don't need to say I don't like you because you don't speak in tongues. That, that's a grievance. And so that's what causes the hindrance in the body of Christ. We say they're Baptists, stay over there. And we say they're Methodists, stay over there. And we say they're Pentecostal, stay holiness, stay over there. You don't belong over there. Oh, they're part of the assembly of God, stay over there. But back during the second great awakening, when the women's aglow began to be established in the early 1900s, and the full gospel businessmen, they didn't care what denomination you came from. They were telling you about the hope of glory that lives on the inside of you. If you've got Jesus and you're born again, the hope of glory lives on the inside. So we have these grievances that we've got to do away with. 
if grievances will stop the flow of God's unity from flowing. Just because they're in the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church, we, ha- we can have the same belief. We can all believe that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. But our grievances at some point, we need to lay aside and put down. Another experience that I had was when I worked at the pregnancy center, I directed a pregnancy center, Karen Up Pregnancy Center in upstate New York and, and Oneida County. And I had three Baptist ministers' wives that volunteered for me. And they could pray me under the table. And I was, and I was a tongue talker. And these women would lead people to, lo- to the Lord and save these babies like I'd never seen before. And I had a rude awakening back then as well. I realized we are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. How's that song go? We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. So I'm going to close with a, with a, with a, was something that John, after he, the, the revelator, after he was on the island of Patmos, when he came off the island, he went back to the city of Ephesus. <clears throat> While he was there, he was in his later stages of his life. And this never, these never, some of the, some of the papers and the scripts never made it back, never made it into the canon of the word, but they're sacred and they're still in holding today. And one of them, I'm going to read to you, this comes out of uh, Global Christianity by Dr. Mark Nickens, and um, it comes out of a Bible commentary written by a scholar back in, back in the 1400s, and this is his commentary. He shares this. He said, this is a tidbit about the Apostle John in his commentary on Galatians 6, verse 10. Blessed John the Evangelist, when he was staying in Ephesus until extreme old age, used to be carried to the church with difficulty by the hands of the disciples. He was not able to put many words together with his voice, and he was accustomed to utter nothing but this during every gathering that we had. Little children love one another. Finally, the disciples and the brothers who were present became irritated because they constantly heard the same thing over and over. So they asked John, the revelator, Teacher, why do you always say this? And he answered with a statement worthy of John. Because it is the Lord's command, and if it alone is done, that is enough. Isn't that powerful? That is enough. So they'll know we are Christians by our love, and they'll know the church is strong by our love. Hallelujah. You can stand with me. Bless you. Bless you. We're going to make our circle. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. God, we thank you, Lord, that your church is strong.